to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. The kingdom of heaven is scattered like seed, generously and continuously. May we see that there is always another seed ready to burst forth into goodness within you. Amen. Today we are now well and truly into summer. Uh, kids are out of classes, live and virtual. The temperature is rising, the blue sky is blazing, and sun is warming our chilled Portland bodies back into life. And here in the Northern Hemisphere, this move into summer is when the church calendar turns toward ordinary time, right when nature is a riot of greens and golds and blues and flashes of fiery flowers. When we want to run outdoors and play, we turn toward Uh, ordinary time. We turn from the divine mysteries of incarnation, resurrection, trinity, which we celebrate during the, the high church portion of the church calendar. And we turn instead to the embodied daily and very ordinary ways that we encounter God in our own lives. Like summer, inviting us outdoors to notice anthills and poppies and puffy clouds. Ordinary time is an invitation to find the divine drama played out right here and right now. To use Jesus' language, we are invited to participate in a kingdom like heaven. But what exactly is a kingdom like heaven? This series we're in at this beginning of Ordinary Time will observe several parables in the book of Matthew in which Jesus likens, rather than defines, a kingdom called heaven, Uh, He likens them to the complexity and mystery of human activity, such as scattering seed, resting in trees, finding treasure, and casting nets. By exploring these parables, it's our sincere hope to encourage a community that more fully embodies a kingdom like heaven, which gestures toward the mystery of God and life of Christ in this world. Today we turn to Matthew 13 and the parable of scattered seed. But first, I want to take us on a brief excursion to ask, why all this talk about kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? Not only is kingdom a distant notion for us in our democratic age, but also the English word kingdom doesn't really capture all of the resonances that Jesus' listeners would have heard uh, when he spoke this word. 
I just read, and I'm, I'm re-watching right now, The Handmaid's Tale. I'm sure many of you have seen this on Hulu. Set in a dystopian future, the novel is the account of Ofrin, a woman who is trapped in the oppressive customs of a theocratic tyranny, which has overthrown the United States. Uh, Gilead, like many totalitarian states, exercises a power so total that one feels there are eyes everywhere. Alfred feels utterly submerged in this terrible world until one day another woman unexpectedly whispers to Alfred of a resistance, saying, You could join us. Alfred is stunned. There's an us? There's an us. This is really closer to the meaning of kingdom of heaven than just God's rule or, or whatever. Jesus' listeners are Jews living under the oppressive regime of Rome, an empire that aspires to impose its way of being over the entirety of the known world. Uh, They live under the heel of empire. In Greek, the word for empire is basileia. uh, And they know the, the price of treason will be horrible death. And then Jesus comes along and speaks not of the basileia of Rome, but of the Basileia to Theu, the empire or the kingdom, not of Caesar, but of God. So why speak of the kingdom of God? Well, in Jesus' day, it was because there was an oppressive regime that marginalized and controlled the weak, created peace through violence, wealth through exploitation, culture through assimilation. And yet, Jesus whispers, there's an us There's another way to be. There's a different citizenship that you have, and it's operating right here as a resistance. And today, well, today again, we find ourselves in an empire which creates peace through violence, wealth through exploitation, which demands assimilation to the great American myth, uh, our power, which was amassed by decimating indigenous peoples, by enslaving and exploiting people of color, is justified by claiming divine right, manifest destiny, a religion fueled by political power. And here, today, Jesus whispers, there's an us. There's a different way to be. There's a different citizenship which is operating as a resistance. With this in mind, we'll turn to today's parable. If you have a Bible or if you're able to pull up the passage on your phone, it might be helpful uh, to read along with me, to see it in front of you, because we're going to be noticing some things about the structure of how this passage is put together. Uh, We're in the book of Matthew in chapter 13, and we'll start right at verse 1. First, we have the initial telling of the parable. So this first section, Jesus tells the parable. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil 
and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. So then, after telling the parable, we get an aside with Jesus and the disciples, and, and they ask him why he tells these stories. Then the disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they've shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So after this aside on why the parables, Jesus retells the parables to his disciple with an explanation. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root and endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the word world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Okay, so what we have here, this whole parable, is a structure that Matthew gives us that's called a chiasm. And this is really common in biblical literature. A chiasm is when you have a structure where there's two related parts on either side of a central item that is uh, between them and, and different. Uh, so you have A, X is the centerpiece, and then A prime. That's usually how they're labeled, A. And, you know, more complex chiasms, you'll have A, B, C, X, C prime, B prime, A prime. And there's these, this mirroring going on. And in the middle, uh, the middle of this is the most important piece or the piece that is kind of the point or is the interpretive key to understanding what's going on on the outsides. Uh, so as opposed to Western literature, where normally the key is toward the end, you know, we read a novel, we read a novel, and, you know, and it, there's, a, there's a point, a climax or a denouement that there's the point uh, that we've been building toward. Uh, in this literature, the centerpiece is the point. So then, let's start at the center. Why does Jesus talk in parables? The Southern novelist Flannery O'Connor uh, wrote short stories and novels that have these jarring and startling characters and plots. Uh, and many people have called her work grotesque or Southern Gothic. When asked about this, uh, why she writes this way, she replied, 
When you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs you do, you can relax and use more normal means of talking to them. But when you have to assume that they do not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the hard of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. I think this is really akin to what Jesus is saying. Why do you speak in parables? Well, Jesus quotes from Isaiah, The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they don't perceive, and hearing they don't listen, nor do they understand. See, here we're getting a peek into the brilliance of Jesus' approach to teaching. Uh, Jesus is not saying that his audience can't see, hear, or understand because they're dull or they're stupid or they're corrupt. Rather, all of us grow and are formed within a culture. Uh, We're taught to interpret the world in a certain way. And you build up this fully formed interpretive grid. And everything that comes at you comes through that grid. And it becomes extremely hard to change that grid. Many of you have encountered this. You're having a discussion with a family member or a colleague. And you come across a disagreement. Maybe it's political or religious. Uh, And you are absolutely stunned to hear how they see the world. You think, "How how can you say that? How can you think that? And and so you you decide you're going to argue the case. Mom, you're going to present your facts. And you go after it head on, only to meet a wall. Their interpretive grid for the world renders all of your conclusions invalid, uh, inaccessible. They're meaningless to them. And it's vice versa. Their facts and their interpretation is inaccessible to you. And the more you go head on, the more defensive and shut down everyone becomes. Jesus is trying in the parables to whisper about a very different way of being in the world, one that does not fit into the interpretive grid of his audience. And if he goes after them head on, they will not be able to receive what he has to say. So instead, like Flannery O'Connor, he draws large, startling pictures, pictures that aren't obvious in their meaning, pictures that you have to go away and ponder, which slowly work on you. And they're easy to carry, they're memorable, and they slip in behind your defenses. The parables let Jesus say things that would be shocking, even blasphemous or treason. But they let that meaning slip in sideways. So then, uh, what's the meaning that Jesus is slipping in here? What's the radical thing that has to be said in pictures? Okay, so this parable speaks about seed scattered on different soils with different results. Rocky ground with no growth, weedy soil which chokes out life, rich soil that bears fruit. Now, uh, when I read this story, here's what I notice that happens within me. First, I focus in really hard on the results of each soil, and I judge them. Bad, bad, good. And then I ask, well, which soil am I? And because I am always primed and ready for shame, (laughs) invariably I pick out one of the bad soils and I feel inadequate. Oh, if I were only the rich and fruitful soil. Now, isn't that interesting? This is a kind of the first pass of the parable doing its work because it exposes how I interpret the world and myself. I feel inadequate. But then the parable begins to dig in a little deeper. Because you know what's really fascinating? The sower is so careless, right? 
throwing seed around anywhere and everywhere, like a fool wandering the city streets, throwing handfuls of seed at random, careless of where they land. Who does that? Why waste the seal the, the seed on rocky soil? It's waste. Ah, but do you hear that? I don't think that the rocky soil, I don't think the weedy soil is worth the lavish gift of seed. It's waste. And this is where the parable really gets to work. Because in Jesus' parable, the word of the kingdom, there's an us. This message of God's presence with and for you is everywhere, widely, without regard for merit or worth. It is everywhere. The astonishing thing in the story is not that the different soils produce different results, but rather that the seed keeps getting scattered everywhere all the time. And this is the message that is nearly blasphemous. The dangerous message that Jesus must encode for us to ponder. The divine is not in the business of responding to human action with reward and punishment. Rather, the divine is always, always lavishing goodness. We might be in a place to to see it and respond to it. And we may be in a season where for any number of reasons, we don't experience the goodness. But it is always, always being lavished foolishly. We live in a world that is shaped by action and consequence, by earning, a world of limited resources where survival of the fittest, where some deserve and others are undeserving. And that this is so deep in our way of seeing our interpretive grid that it's almost unimaginable that God wouldn't act that way. And it's unimaginable that God wouldn't pause over us and decide if the soil of our lives is up to scratch if we're able to receive before giving. I've been pondering this in my own life recently. I was recently engaged. (laughs) And Gary and I are in the depths of wedding planning. Uh, But for years and years, I was single. And I couldn't help but experience that singleness and experience God through the lens of an enormous, incomprehensible no. I couldn't stop myself from asking, what was wrong with me? that I had to be single, why the soil of my life was so rocky or weed-infested that that God couldn't give good gifts that would bear fruit. But now I'm beginning to wonder, how much yes was there all along? And I I don't mean by that, oh, God knew I'd get married all along, so it was always a yes, you know, in, in deferment. I, I, I mean... What abundance and goodness was telling me all that time that there was nothing wrong with me, that I was loved, that I was worthy, and that there was beautiful fruit, that the divine was so deeply with me, which I couldn't hear because I was just focused on feeling inadequate and unworthy of good things. You see, I think this is the challenge Jesus is up against. Uh, Humanity is poised and ready to interpret all of life as evidence that God is either for them or against them. That we're good soil or bad soil, worthy or unworthy. Promotion in a marriage, God's for us. I'm good. I must deserve it. A layoff and divorce, God is angry. I have failed. 
We'll even turn the invitations of the divine into demands. So when God invites us to grow more into ourselves, to come alive to love, we're so quick to hear, you don't love enough. Rather than the invitation, come, learn more about love. We're so quick to read a parable about lavish seeds as a parable about how terrible the soil of our lives is and how we had better work harder. The challenge Jesus faces as he teaches is to help us hear that the goal is not to make ourselves good so God will be able to lavish grace. Rather, the goal is to come alive to the grace that is always telling us we are loved, we belong, we are worthy. Sometimes our lives do crack like desert soil, and we're dry and we're arid, And no matter what seeds fall, there's no way they're bursting into life. No matter, the sower is generously scattering seed. Sometimes we're so busy and distracted and and we cannot for the life of us focus on what matters most. No matter, the sower is there generously scattering seed. And sometimes... Sometimes we're alive to the mystery and the wonder and the goodness of the divine with us. And that's good. But the difference is only that in this season, we are seeing what has always been true. We've always been invited to see that our lives are treasured by the divine. As we close today, I want to read a poem by David White, which gets at the heart of this. Uh, It's called, Everything is Waiting for You. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, even you at times have felt the grand array the swelling presence, and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of this world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Pearl Church, whatever season we find ourselves in, dry, cracked, arid, weedy, choked out by thorns, rich, bountiful, bursting with life, whatever season we are in, everything is waiting for us to come alive to this. A sower is scattering seed. You are worthy and loved now where you are.
And the divine is saying, there's an us and you belong. Let us pray. God, may we know the kingdom of God is scattered like seed, generously and constantly. Let us know there is always another seed ready to burst forth in goodness within us. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.